Hello Life Changes Church, we are in our Move Again series as we look through the book of Exodus and how God took the Israelites out of slavery, through the wilderness and into his promises. So why don't you grab a notebook and pen and enjoy this sermon. Good to be with you this morning, my name is Scott, for those of you who I haven't met yet, my wife Amy and the kids, um, they're at home today, there's a few sniffles there with the kids, um, but they send their love. Got a photo of my boys, I'm just taking this opportunity because I can, those are them. Hey, hey, look at that, look at that. Hey, yo, love those guys, love those chaps. Um, but just a quick story before I get going. We've been through one of those, you know, those cycles where just everyone gets sick all the time. It just goes from one thing to the next. So our kids had gastro. It was, it was messy at our house, all sorts, all sorts happening. And then one afternoon, I feel like, ah, yo, not, not feeling 100% here. I'm not, haven't quite got it together. But I had plans that evening to see a friend. I had plans to see it. it was quite a new friendship, a bit of a budding relationship. So just felt like I had to, I had to go. I had to honor this commitment. I didn't want to be that guy who said, you know, I'm just not feeling well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it. So anyway, I head out the house, go pick my friend up in um, Century City. And we're busy, we busy driving. We're busy driving on our way back towards Tableview. And I just, you know, things are not, things are not, things are not feeling good. And I'm just... Just trying to keep, just trying to keep things together, you know. And my friend is, um, he's quite a, quite a talkative chap. We can say it like that. And just, he's going. He's, he's talking. I'm, you know, your mouth's getting watery. So I'm feeling, uh, just, it's not. Things are not, not, not gonna. We're not gonna make it home. I'm not gonna make it to the next stop. So I tell my friend, look, listen, I'm, I'm feeling a bit queasy here. I'm not, I'm not sure if we're gonna make it. So then he changes track, and starts telling me stories about when he threw up in cars. <laughs> about KFC bags that he basically threw up on the way to everyone. I'm like, this really isn't helping. It's not, not helping. On the M5 Kubrick Road, stopped the car at a bus stop, busy throwing up there at the bus stop. It was a big one. I could see lunch came up, then breakfast came up. No, no, it was heavy. It was heavy. And my friend doesn't, doesn't even get out the car. He basically just looks in the car, finds some wet wipes, which we have everywhere. Oh, we got wet wipes. He basically throws the wet wipes at me. I've got it in my glasses. and Anyway, but that friend is the, no, no other than Gabe Phillips. He was, he was there. No, no friend in need. If you're sick, Gabe's not, he's not your person. Not, not the one to go to. Helped me nothing on that trip. But anyway, we, we're all, we're all better now. But on a on more serious note, could we turn our eyes to the screen quickly? And I, I want to ask you, what, what do you see? What, what do you see? You can shout it out. What, what do you see? A duck and a bunny. Hey, do you see both? Hey, so we see duck. Can we go to the next one? What do you see? What do we see? What do you see? You can see the man playing a saxophone. Also see the silhouette of a lady there. Can you see it? Got it? Everyone got it? Next one? Can we go to the next one there, Zander? There we go. What do we see? Old lady with a little smoke and the young woman. And the last one, what do you see? You can see the tree and the man and the lady. Can you see it? Can you see it? You got it. And, that's, and the question this morning as we get into the sermon is not, not if you are seeing, not if you can see, but what are you seeing? And that's, that's the crux of it. That's my challenge this morning. Not if you are building, but what are you building? And what we're going to talk about this morning, not if you are worshiping, but what are you worshiping? So we're going to be talking this morning about what are you worshiping? And I think it's actually quite clear. In Scripture and in the Word, you get two choices. Like these photos had two choices on them. You're either worshiping an idol 
or you're worshiping God. And that's going to keep it, keep it clean, keep it simple this morning. We're going to step our way through the story of Exodus. And with that simple question of what were they worshiping? And this morning, what are you worshiping? I'd like to read from Exodus 20, verse 1 to 17. You can turn, turn there on your Bibles, or it'll also be on the screen behind us. Um, Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words to, words to them. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, Exodus 20, verse 1 to 17, out of the land of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them in worship. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number four, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, you shall rest. Number five, honor your mother and your father so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And finally, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, his servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Would you open our hearts, open our minds to your word? Would you change us this morning, Lord Jesus? Expose the idols in our lives. Expose what takes us away from you this morning, that we could be worshipers of the one true God. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. So we're busy working through the book of Exodus, we're busy with a preaching series called Move Again, and we're busy working our way systematically through this book. And we're currently just at the point of Mount Sinai. So Exodus is split quite nicely between chapters 1 to 18, and then basically 19 to 40, and Mount Sinai is right, is right in the middle. And this is a story of God freeing His people from slavery, from captivity. It's a story of liberation. It's the it's the great the long walk to freedom, basically. Um, and we love we love it. We love that first part of the story of the plagues coming down, Pharaoh's heart being hardened, and setting eventually setting God's people free. And then they get into the wilderness, and we know a bit less chapters 19 to 40. And this is the story of God's people in the wilderness, and God's people struggling with their new reality, struggling to come out of Egypt, struggling to see what is this promised land, this idea of a promised land, what could that be, grumbling and moaning. But I want to, I want to encourage, us, ask, encourage us this morning that the story of Exodus, we, it's so easy to read it and go, oh, come on, come on, guys, come on. It's so easy to read and say, obviously, the water was coming, obviously, the provision was coming, but the reality is, is that their story is your story. Their story is my story. And I think we just need to look at it this morning from that lens to say, as we go through this book, the Israelites, it's us. It's us. We're the moaning, grumbling, difficult people. The one, I mean, as you look through the book of Exodus, at one point they didn't have water for three days. I mean, I'm just trying to think, I mean, some people in Durban, I think, haven't had water for, for as long as that. But they didn't have any water for three days. I'm trying to think, as a, as a young married couple with two little kids, like, what, what would my response be with no water for three days? Can you imagine? Kids are going off the, I mean, and to think that I wouldn't groan and mum, mumble and complain, it's, I mean, it's, 
It's ridiculous. We would, be, we would be up in arms, you know. Who led us out into this wilderness so we could die here, so our kids could die? And that's the reality is people, the people were moaning. They were upset. They were turning to false idols, and we moan and get upset and turn to false idols. So I think let's just, I think, bring that home. The question for the Israelites is not if they were worshiping, but what they were worshiping. The question for us is not if we are worshiping, but what we are worshiping. And it's clear between worshiping an idol and worshiping an altar. Exodus 20, verse 22, I'm going to read it on the screen. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Do not set up, in short, do, do not set up false idols, but rather, and this is it, make an altar of earth for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones to me, do not build it with dressed stones. You'll defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to it on my altar or on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. And it's in the scriptures. It's there. Not gonna, we're not going to focus on that this morning. But basically, basically we have two choices. <laughs> there's wisdom there. There's two. There's, I, I, I just read the scripture. That's exactly, exactly as it says. Try to, get, try to speed up a bit there so you won't hear it. But anyway. Um, but that's our choice this morning is are we worshiping idols or are we worshiping on the altar? And idol worship it's, it was a very real thing back in the day. The Israelites would have they spent 400 years in Egypt. All they knew was idol worship. Pharaoh of the time, he was what they would see as a god. He was their idol. They would worship him. They had a multitude of other forms of idols, of statues, of, of these ideas of something that they would be worshiping. And also, they would worship other things like we would. They would worship possession and finances and other things, anything that basically takes its place as God, as God's rightful place in our life is is an idol. And we fast forward a little bit to 32, and as Moses is on, he's on Mount Sinai, basically the Israelites are all in the valley. They can see the mountain with God's presence hovering around the mountain. They can see it. It's there. It's like Table Mountain with the mist around it. And in that moment, they decide to set up an idol. I won't read the whole scripture, but basically they say to Aaron, take our, take our jewelry, take the gold, take the silver, melt it together, and make a golden calf for us that we may worship it. In the moment, they've just been set free. They've just walked through the, the Red Sea, and it's opened up for them. It's most amazing miracles. They've seen the ten plagues. They can literally see the Lord's presence on the mountain. They say, let's rather worship an idol, a, gold, a golden calf. And these are your gods, this golden calf, says Aaron, who brought you out of Egypt. It's, it's almost laughable, and yet... That is the reality. As, as we see God's miracles, God's provision, God's hand in our life, we still somehow turn, turn to other idols. And as we look at Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, those Ten Commandments, he's actually, what he's actually doing is addressing idol worship with the people. He's saying this is a new way to live. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, don't make false idols. He says, rest on the Sabbath. Don't let work be your idol. He spoke about, do not murder. Do not let revenge or anger be your idol. Do not commit adultery. Don't let sex be your idol. Do not steal from each other. Theft. Do not lie. Deceit. Do not covet. 
each other's possessions. It's very, I see Duran looking at me for that word greed. We had a bit of a joke earlier. But, but do not let what we are chasing each other for, or what we're looking at each other, don't let, don't let those things be your idol. And I've just, I think we can just so bring that home to us now. Anything that replaces God in our life becomes an idol. Anything that is above him can be an idea, can be a person, can be a, a, a way of life, can be what you're aspiring for. Anything that, that replaces the Lord is an idol. Just to share a personal story, um, for those of you here that are married, well, no, every, every marriage has, has their thing. You know, I, I don't, yeah, we will, if you've been married longer than six months, you'll know. There's, there's, you say something and it's just, you know, in like 10 seconds, it's going to be a fight. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter how you say, you just know there's you go, you're gonna, you, I see some married couples laughing here because you know there's, there's something like that. And just to share for Amy and I, there is something like that. And, um, and that person is, it's something that can be a person, an ex-girlfriend or something, but that person for us is Rafael Nadal. It's the truth. Amy, Amy is a huge, a huge fan of Rafael Nadal. She said to me once that she wouldn't leave me for anyone except Rafael Nadal. And I, I took, a, took a while, took a while to, to process that. Um, I can't speak badly about him. I can't speak about the fact that his left arm is twice the size of his right arm or his OCD or all of those things. But she really is a massive fan. I've got just a photo on the, on the screen. This is basically her in Egypt a few, a few years back and saw Rafael Nadal and basically stalked him as, as she was t- taking photos of him. Um, it, she, she still speaks about the day when she brushed up past Rafael Nadal. It's got the, it's got the smell of that Spaniard, um, she said. Um, no, no, but I mean, in all seriousness, though, celebrity, celebrity culture is, is a real thing. As we, as we look towards people, as we look towards ideas, Instagram, who are we following, who are we taking our inspiration from, whose life do we look at and aspire to be like that person? We must, there are good things and there are healthy things with following good influences and things like that, but there's also a point where we take our inspiration from an individual or from a person or maybe a sports team. I mean, good things in and of themselves, but we can quickly turn those things into idol worship, and in that we get ourselves into all, all sorts of trouble. And the reality is, and this is unfortunate, but it's true, is that idol worship messes us up. It messes us up. Without even trying, without doing anything, the fact that we're worshiping an idol, it's going to mess you up. It will mess you up. And in a few ways, that as we worship idols, we become grumblers. We become moaners. We are unhappy with our current circumstance. We want to get to another. We want to be somewhere else. We want to be married to somebody else. We want to, we want to be away from our current circumstances. We want to be away from our job. We moan. And in that grumbling, idol worship festers. And we become... We become well, we become unlikable people, but I mean, we just, we start to moan and the Lord displeases that. We have a distorted view of God. Idol worship is born out of a distorted view of the Lord in terms of understanding Him, understanding His love for us, and a distorted view of ourselves. If we don't understand how God created us, how He made us in His image, we will worship idols. That's the reality. Ezekiel 14 verse 4, it says, Therefore speak to them and tell them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his, his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. 
And this is, it's, it's a difficult one to swallow, but so often you hear somebody say, I felt the Lord told me to, da, da, da. I felt the Lord told me to leave my wife. I felt the Lord told me to quit my job. I felt the Lord told me to leave this church. I felt the Lord told me whatever that thing is. And because of your idolatry, because we have made something else higher than the Lord, we are not able to hear the Lord accurately. We're not able to hear what His plan is for us. And it's such a difficult thing. If somebody says to you, I feel like the Lord said this, there's, there's no argument to that. And it's actually addressing the, the idol in that person's heart first. What is the idol? What is the thing you are worshiping and you're getting the answer you want according to that idol? Does that make sense? So we need to lay that thing down first and then we can hear accurately what the Lord is saying to us. Idol worship on the one hand, and then on the other is altar worship, worshiping God on the altar. Exodus, we're again reading from Exodus, verse 24. It says, Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. In those days, altar worship was a very symbolic thing. It was a very physical thing, actually. They would go and get stones, get rocks, and build an altar before the Lord. And on that altar, that it was often it was it was actually known as the sacrificing place. So an altar is a place of sacrifice. So they would go and get um, a lamb without blemish, take that up, and make atonement for their sins. They would go there, basically confess their sins, and that they would get. Re- Get, they would repent and there would be atonement for their sins. It was also a place of remembrance. As these great miracles would happen in the Old Testament, they would set up these altars at place, as places of remembrance to say, we remember the great things that the Lord has done for us. And I mean, that is a, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore, I'm glad. We don't often set up little rocks in our garden. Well, maybe you do. I don't know, maybe one of those types. But, but we don't, we don't, create these physical altars anymore but in reality too we are creating and building and worshiping on altars which is which is actually an amazing thing and just in terms of that the original intent of an altar was a place of forgiveness and a place of remembrance and just if we kind of bring that into our modern day context this this church this congregation is a form of an altar in terms of as we come together as 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 believers, we come and worship together. We come and we start to form an altar together. It's something that is incredibly strong, actually, incredibly powerful. It's not always tangible. We can't always see it. I remember um, back in my student days, just when they released, um, Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know. We all, we all know it, familiar with it. Um, but it was in that time, it was basically a 40-day devotional for a purpose-driven life. And I, uh, me and three other friends, we decided we were going to meet every morning to work through a chapter of those books for 40 days. We met in Zeta Park, I don't know, any Pretorians here, but good old Zeta Park in Pretoria. And we met every morning and we prayed. And funny, that was, that was 15 years ago. And our, this, the Lord did something in me in that time that I go back to and I'll revisit. And I know, I know the Lord's hand in my life because of that. It's a rock for me. And I just, that is an altar. Something like that is an altar. And think in your own life too, or maybe it was during a difficult time when you lost a loved one or when there was a challenging period or just went through some relational challenge, whatever that was, the Lord was in that through you and with you and that becomes an altar for you going forward. Um, and altar worship in complete contrast 
to idol worship, altar worship, it builds us up. It builds us up. It edifies us. It, we come as we are onto God's altar. So beautiful that we can come as we are with all our sin, all our blemish. That's exactly how it was in those days. You would come with all the sin that you had, come to the altar and get forgiveness. We come as we are, forgiveness and for remembrance of what God has done. And this, going back to that first question, is that we are worshiping something. It's not if we are worshiping, it's what are we worshiping. And this morning, it's between idol worship or worshiping on the altar. And just for us to get super, super practical, Romans 7 verse 15, um, Paul's speaking, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. What I want, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I hate, I do. And that to me is I don't know, the Israelites, it feels like something in them, they, they flip-flop up and down. Something in them knows the faithfulness of the Lord, knows the, the blessing that the Lord has bestowed on them, knows that they're called to promised land, but yet they keep going back. They've been taken out of Egypt, but yet there's all this, there's all this Egypt in them, and they keep going to worship false idols. They keep going to go and do the things that they hate. And that's for us too. Often we, we have some realization of what God has done, but yet we still go back. I mean, it's, as, as a dog returns to its vomit, that's how we go back to our sin. And just we need to be moving from idol worship to altar worship. And how do we do that? How do we do that? That's the, that's the million dollar question, is that how do we move away from one to the other? And I want to suggest three ways to do that this morning. First of all, we need to smash the idols. We just... We just smash them. We don't, we don't negotiate with idols. We don't compromise with idols. We don't have a bit of an idol in our house and a bit of worship. We smash them. We smash them. And um, Deuteronomy 12 verse 13, it says, Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Smash them down, break them, burn them. Cut down the idols of the gods and wipe out their names from those places. That's what we have to do. As we identify idols in our lives, we need to be relentless in what we do, uncompromising in, in how we take those things that we are aspiring to, put above, that we put above the Lord and remove them from our life. I, just a, also a very practical story from my own life. Um, I, yeah, I was, I don't know how we can say it, I, um, I wasn't the model student, they would put it like that. I was a pastor's kid and I, I found my way um, into the wrong crowd for, for a considerable amount of time. Say, say that. But high school, I was, there was all sorts of shenanigans, and I, I, was, I wasn't your model student. And at varsity too, but I, I was, this, this dual life started to develop in me, where I had one group of friends, the, the youth group and the church group that knew a certain Scott, and another group of friends that it was a whole different kettle of fish. It was a whole different person, actually. The, the things that I'd get up to on the weekends, the, and it really, I was living two different lives. I remember my 21st birthday party, I invited, I invited both groups to the same event. It's an absolute, absolute uh, schoolboy error and an absolute mistake. Um, basically, then I asked each one from each group to say a speech about me at the, at the, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. The one group was like, yo, what a champion, like helps the poor doing this. And then the other groups about these stories about passing out and they like all the stuff you'd, 
You know what I mean? And it's just, I, I, people, my, my parents, they were, they were shocked. They, couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't reconcile between these two different lives. But I was running, I was running parallel lives. And what I had to do, and it was a difficult thing, but there were, there were two guys there that I was great friends with, loved spending time with them, and I had to end those relationships. I had to. I, had to. I, I just knew I can't, I can't keep this duality in my life. I had, to, I had to stop being friends with them. I haven't spoken to them for the last 10 years. And I had to, there was a part of me that wanted to, just to try and maintain things. You know, I'd still, still meet them every now and again, or still go watch a rugby game together, or still, and I'm not saying any of that's bad. It's just for me on my journey, I knew I couldn't carry these two things anymore. I had to pick one and run at it. So just, I mean, very practical example of actually smashing something. It was literally putting a relationship to death and allowing that to die so I could step into something else for what God had in store for me. Um, secondly, to, to bring your first fruits. So our first, our first way to move from al- idol to altar worship is firstly smash the idols. And then secondly, bring your first fruits to the altar. Bring the best of what you've got to God. Um, Genesis 4 verse 4 to 6 says, Now Abel kept flock and kept flock, um, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Two, two people bring worship to an altar, and the one looks favorably and the other doesn't. And it's just, it's just a, I mean, that's right from the beginning in the creation story. And it's just the issue of Abel bringing his best, bringing what he's got, bringing his first fruits into, into the place of worship. And I want to encourage us to, when it comes to something as simple and as powerful and as potentially destructive as finances, that we bring our first fruits. Will you bring your first fruits? And I think just that's it's such a conviction for me too. In times in my life where I've been giving faithfully to the Lord, things have, things have changed in me. Things have opened up. Things have grown. Things have, the Lord has blessed me many times over than what I, could, what I could imagine. But at times when I've made excuses or I've, I've tried to just say this isn't the right time or we're not doing this now, we're not part of a community or whatever it is, things have gotten smaller and just I've become a smaller person. And just that money is such a, it's such a big thing in terms of making sure that isn't an idol that you worship. And our giving, really want to encourage this morning, our giving is, our giving is between us and the Lord. It's not between us and the church. It's, this is a, a partnership together. We partner in this together, but it's, it's between you and God. But really is. The church doesn't look who gives what or anything like that. It's saying that we are going to put money in the right place in our life. And we do that in a very simple way by giving it away. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let that, don't let that be a stumbling block for you. Another one is giving the, the best of our time too. Um, we, have, we are raising, um, raising two little boys, which at times can be quite intense, can be quite hectic. We got, got told um, the other day that, that we, are, we are the poster couple for contraceptives. Yeah? Not, um, I'm not looking, looking at anybody here in the, se- se- the second row here on my left. It's like, yo, it's harsh, harsh, harsh. Yeah, harsh. No, it was said in love, said in all those things, but that's a bit harsh. But um, it can be intense. It can be intense and it can be, it can be rough at times. Um, and I, I just, 
honestly, you look back at a week where you feel like that was the busiest week we've ever had, the most intense week, and then also look back and how much Netflix did we watch that week? Uh, we're raising two kids, full-time jobs, a lot going on, but somehow we found time to watch Netflix, and we've got our, got our shows, and we enjoy it, and a very simple, almost feels too simple to say, but Amy and I, instead of when the kids go down and the house eventually settles and the creaming, screaming stops, we've taken, we've taken 10 minutes, Pauline's laughing there, um, we've taken 10 minutes just to, to read a scripture and pray and then watch Netflix, but that's it's a very simple thing for us is to say, look, the, the best of our time at the moment is the evenings when the kids go down. That's just the mornings are the mornings are dog show. The rest of the day is pretty heavy. But at the at the evening, there is a little gap and there's some breathing space instead of going straight into, OK, what can we watch tonight? Let's take a minute to build an altar. And I just want to encourage you doesn't need to look doesn't need to look like anything fancy or anything big or anything huge. It needs to look like something simple, something consistent. And in that, we build, we build altars. And then the final, sort of final and, and landing point this morning. I, we mustn't also get caught into the trap of thinking it's just by our, just by our effort. It's just by our, it's just striving. You know, just go in there with a hammer and smash these idols swing until something gets knocked down and then try with all our might to bring what we can to the Lord. It's not that. It's actually, it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation from the Lord to come to the perfect altar, to the altar. And just if we, we stay there for a second, in, in, um, in Exodus and back in, the, back, in the, um, back in the day, the altar worship was hugely significant. Uh, there would be a, an unblemished lamb that would come, they would slit his throat, the blood would drain, and that blood, the sprinkling of that blood would be a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of being set free. And then fast forward many, many years, to call it 2,000 years, there was a symbol of forgiveness, a symbol of of atonement, as Jesus got sacrificed on that cross, on that altar, as they would build rocks those days, build them up to form these altars, on that hill, on Golgotha, they sacrificed the perfect sacrifice. And that's why when we approach our altars this morning, we don't do it needing to atone. We don't do it needing to make something right to bring that sacrifice. We do it because that price has already been paid. And that's, it's, it's a drawing. It's a drawing to the altar that allows us to move away from those idols that, that we have in our life. Um, the story of the, the rich young ruler. Just in today's society, he, he had it all. He was rich, he was young, and he had power. He, he had it. If we look at his Insta feed, he was, he was everything we, we aspire to be. He was doing all the cool stuff. He wasn't working. He was traveling the world with lots of cash, and he was the best-looking chap around. And that's, that's the reality. And he meets Jesus in the street. He meets him in the street. Mark 10, verse 17. As he was setting on a journey, a man ran up to him, and he knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. He lists the Ten Commandments, what I started with at the beginning. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he said to them, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Looking at them, Jesus showed love to him and said, one thing you lack. 
Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. You will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to him, lay down your idol. Lay down your idol and come follow me. You've got idols. You've got an idol in your life of finance, of money, of possessions, of power, of vitality, of any of those things. You've got all those things. You've got them all. Will you lay them down? Will you smash those idols and follow me? And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't put those things aside and follow Jesus. And he left deeply dismayed. And I wonder, Jason, maybe you can, you can come up. But I just wonder for us this morning that we don't leave this place deeply dismayed. When there's things in our lives that we need to, we need to change, we need to, we need to shift, we need to move, we have to move. Let's not leave this morning deeply dismayed. Let's leave this morning worshiping. So I just want us, let's maybe if we can just stand for a minute. Let's maybe just take a moment and respond. Say, Jesus... As I was speaking this morning and I, as the sermon went across this morning, there was, would have been idols in your life that you would have identified. Idols that you know that that is taking the place of the one true God. And I want to do it in two parts this morning. The one is let's smash those idols together. Just as we, as I was sharing with you, what was that thing that came into your mind? What was that, maybe even the hope of something that came into your mind? Maybe it's a hope of a relationship. Maybe it's the hope of a future. Maybe it's a hope of financial provision. Maybe it's a hope of moving away. Maybe it's the hope of a relationship ending, a hope of a new boss. A hope of being able to provide for your family. A hope of a restored relationship. And Jesus, these idols the idols in my life and the idols in each person's life here, we, we smash them this morning. We turn away from them. We turn away from those things that draw our attention, draw our energy, draw our focus. We turn away from them this morning. And we come to the altar, to the altar, the perfect altar. And if you feel brave enough and would you do it with me? Would we kneel this morning? Would we kneel? I'm going to kneel in front of you. And I wonder if we could kneel and in, a, in an act of worship. Worship is a, is a physical act. Worship is a, it's not, it's not a, it's not a response in our mind. It's a response in our body. And Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning come before you this morning as Life Changers Century City is a community of groaning, mumbling, difficult people. People that struggle not to look back. People that, that have seen your hand move and yet we worship idols. And Jesus, we come before your perfect sacrifice. We come before the ultimate altar, the cross with you on it, Jesus. And we lay our lives down at your feet. Thank you so much for watching and listening. That was an amazing sermon, and we love seeing what God is doing in and through our lives as we move through the book of Exodus. So, if you'd like to find out more or give the rest of the series a watch or listen, head over to our website, follow us on social media, and get connected. We'll see you soon.